There are many times when God's people want a new day and want to renew themselves and do better for the Lord, and so they become determined that they're going to do that. They find some motivation and rev themselves up and do all that they can uh, to become better for God, and the moment they do that, they have just embraced a recipe for failure. Every bit of that is focused. Entirely to a and renewal in him as if we did not know him. Because the process I just described to you is exactly the process that the world outside of Christ faces. There is a different formula for success in the Christian life besides been psyched out and motivated. All of that is highly overrated. Highly over overrated. And it leads to failure every time, at least over the long haul and over the long term. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7 will help us with that this morning and will help us to avoid, actually, the uh, new philosophy of life that Charlie Brown came up with. You know, Charlie Brown, the hapless cartoon character of Charles Schultz uh, through the years, uh, Charlie Brown said, I've come up with a new philosophy of life. I'm only going to dread one day at a time. And we don't want you there. Uh, we, we believe that more and more of God's people need to stop enduring their Christianity and they need to begin to enjoy their Christianity and their walk with God. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, because here the Apostle Paul commends God's grace as the way to do something effective and right for God. Beginning in chapter 2 in verse number 1, he said, Therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Therefore, you must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also... If anyone competes in athletics, he's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer must first uh, be the first to partake of crops. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. You know something? It's time that we do something effective and right for God, and how to do that is found in this, uh, in this passage. Paul commends God's grace as the way to be effective and right for and with God. And uh, there are three truths I want you to take from this. And the first is this. God's Son destroys grace. God's Son destroys grace. Now, the chapter division here does not need to keep us from the context. And that is, beginning in verse number 13 of the previous chapter, the Apostle Paul has uh, said to Timothy, Hold fast, and I want you to keep what's been given to you. No matter the opposition, no matter the difficulty, no matter the dangers, this challenge, no matter how much people may or may not like it, I want you to be faithful, hold fast, and stand firm. Now, Hermogenes and Phagellus, who are mentioned here in the text, failed to do so. But Onesiphorus did so. And then he transitions to chapter 2, verse 1. And he says, as literally in the text, as for you, Timothy, my son, 
be strong in the grace of more Onesiphorus and less and less like the unfaithful Phagellus and Hermogenes. Hold fast and keep the truth that was delivered to you. And here's how you're going to do it. You're going to do it by being strong in the grace of Jesus Christ. Be strong in the grace of Jesus Christ. And, and here's, um, here, here's how to break that down in verse 1. Uh, be strong. Uh, in the grace that is in uh, Christ Jesus. Uh, the meaning of grace. What in the world is the meaning of grace? Well, well, grace happens to be that inexhaustible supply of God's goodness that he especially directs to sinners. Every time you think about grace, you need to think that it's inexhaustible, it's abundant in supply, and it is directed only at sinners. There are sinners, they're in desperate need of the intervention of God, and God gives it whatever they need when they trust Him. That's what it means to experience God's grace. And so it's that inexhaustible supply of God's goodness towards those sinners who will trust Him. Uh, the source of it is uh, a bit obscure here in the text, but let me, let me bring it to uh, the surface. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace. Uh, that's in the passive tense in the Greek text, and it means let there be an outside influence that intervenes and allows you to be strengthened in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. The only way to find strength is to let God intervene, invite God to intervene to give us strength because, frankly, we don't have enough. And so that happens to be the source. But then here is the location of this grace. Be strong or be strengthened in the grace of Christ Jesus. Not in your performance. That's not where you find strength and grace. Not in your virtue. I mean, if that's the case, we're all hopeless. Because as far as meeting the standard of God, there's no hope of doing that on our own at all. So be strengthened in grace that is found in solely the location of Christ Jesus. John 1.16 says, Of Christ's fullness we have received in grace upon grace. Endless, abounding, multiplying, expanding grace. It is found in Christ Jesus. The moment you receive Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ then becomes a never-ending, inexhaustible supply of the grace of God, and He purchased with His blood and resurrection free access to it on the part of anyone that trusts Him as Lord and Savior. And that's why we get wound up here about Jesus. That's why we get wound up here and lathered up about inviting people to turn to Jesus Christ because the moment you do, you gain access, free, eternal access to everything the blood purchased, everything the resurrection secured in Jesus Christ. No one who knows Jesus has got to be a failure any longer at all. You can win in Jesus Christ. Listen, as long as Jesus is alive, and as long as Jesus is on right terms with the Father, you have access to that, and it's open and free. Now, let me ask you a question. Just how long is Jesus going to be right with the Father? And just how long is He going to be alive? 
I mean, he's alive, never to die again. He's God himself. He can't be wrong. Forever and forever and forever and forever, the children of God have access to the inexhaustible goodness of God found in Christ Jesus. Well, we'll get excited about something here in just a minute, but um, (laughs) God's Son distributes this grace. So God gives those sinners who trust Jesus Christ as Master and Savior all they need to do something great for God. Now listen, I need to make a real clear clarifying point here. And that is, it's not that you do the right thing and God comes through with the help. It's not that you do the right thing and perform well and then God follows that with blessing. It's that God first gives you blessing and then you do the right thing. The help comes first simply because God is good. And then the performance happens to follow. You see, God loves us first and then we return love to Him. It's not that we love Him and then He loves us. Oh, you got to get the order of this exactly correct. God blesses, God loves, God gives grace first. And then and only then are we enabled then to do the right thing that's effective for God. And so whenever you're considering this, you don't look to yourself. You don't calculate your own resources. You don't figure your own need. You first look to Him and God comes through when you trust Him. So God's Son distributes grace. But there's a second uh, bit of Uh, uh, another truth here found in this text. Uh, Not only does God's Son distribute grace, but God's will demands grace. God's will demands grace. Now what happens too often is that there are folks who know Christ and they struggle and they don't understand chapter 2 verse 1 or the Bible teaching on grace and they continue to fail and fall to temptation. They never have any answered prayers. They don't make an impact upon their neighbors. They've never won anyone to Jesus. They're still struggling with everything. And and without that experience of grace, here's what will happen. They, They will begin to settle and lower their expectations for themselves and completely eliminate any hope of ever having victory in their own lives that they'll never consider it and so essentially quietly desperately they will live a life that is no different from anyone else in the world except they attend church and others don't I don't know about you but I could hardly live that way how about you I want to see a win I want to see a victory I want to see something happen in life where Jesus Christ gets the credit because only he could pull it off. And that in the life of the people of God. And that's what God intended whenever he brought you to Jesus Christ, if indeed you have come. And so God's will actually demands grace. Um, Look look here. Um, here, Here's his will. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 2. The things, uh, we're, we're to first act like stewards. Uh, The things that you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The doctrine of stewardship is simply this. God owns it all and he parcels it out to us to manage it. And so we we have 
what God has given us. We're managers, we're not owners. We, we manage our bank accounts, we don't own them, God does. We, we manage our gifts and talents, we don't own them, God does. And th this is what we do as stewards uh, or managers. We, we manage things the way the owner wants them managed. The, 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 that's true about everything. And, and it is one of the most necessary and urgent doctrines that the world really needs to understand. It all belongs to God and he parcels it out as he wills to us, distributes management over these things as he wills and we're to manage it in a way that pleases him. And that's what he's talking about here in verse 2 uh, and that is his truth. Well that's far too difficult for us to do. We have to fight self-will and frankly that's a very difficult battle. Well, it gets even more challenging in verse 3. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And here's one hardship. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, with civilian affairs. There's no soldier in the world that's in a theater of battle in the midst of a firefight who receives a phone call from back home saying, come home, I need you to fix a leaky faucet. You don't entangle yourself in the affairs of life when you're at a battle. There, there has to be some focus and concentration that you may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And so that focus is a challenge, but distraction is an enormous difficulty. And, and folks struggle to overcome that. They struggle to overcome distraction. They struggle to overcome self-will. But there's more in verse 5. And also, if anyone competes... In athletics, he's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. One of the rules of athletics in the Greco-Roman world is that you had to spend 10 months in preparation and had to swear out an oath before you entered any game or competition that you had done that precise thing. That's one of the rules talked about here. And so before the games ever begin, you've got to engage in some kind of preparation and start keeping the rules long before the game start and then you've got to conduct yourself during the competition according to the rules well that's what we've got here in this uh, uh, text so the athlete has to fight uh, uh, those things that we keep him from being prepared and, and then it goes on the hard-working farmer must be the first to partake of crops and, and that is uh, essentially oftentimes what we're doing the hard-working farmer is the one that ends up being the productive farmer he's got to fight laziness so there's a battle against self-will there, there's a battle here uh, against uh, distraction there is a battle here in this text against uh, a lack of discipline and, and there's a battle here against laziness may I say to you everyone is vulnerable to this all the time and it's a challenge one way or the other. In other words, God expects us to be like the steward. He expects us to be like the soldier. He expects us to be like the athlete. He expects us to be like the hardworking farmer and to be productive. These expectations are too high for us to meet on our own. Therefore, we have got to have chapter 2, verse 1. We've got to be in a place where God intervenes in our life and he makes us strong because he's good, because he's gracious. In other words, God's vision for your life is so far beyond you. And his for me is so far beyond me. And it is so far beyond all of us on purpose. 
intentionally, God has set the expectation and the vision for our lives far beyond anything that we could ever reach on our own. And you know why? Because it drives us to Him, number one. Number two, it sets us up for great works that magnify Jesus. And then third, whenever those great works are done, no one's going to give us credit, that's for sure. He's getting it. His Son is beautified. His Son is magnified. His Son is exalted because once again, Jesus has intervened in the life of a believing sinner and done something great in his or her life. So God's will demands grace. God's Son distributes it. And then there's a third truth in the text. And that is God's promise delivers grace. God's promise delivers grace grace. People are weary of failure. People are weary of succumbing to the same temptations over and over again. They're like the woman I know who went to um, Whole Foods and purchased apples for $30 and dropped both of them on their way home. (laughs) They're spending too much emotion and thinking and energy on, on failure and they want to have some victory. They see the promises of Scripture and they need more. And what is needed is the grace of God. And and Paul here, in a comment that, frankly, most people overlook, really gives us the key to ascertaining and accessing the grace of God. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Consider what I'm saying here in verses 1 through 6. And the Lord will give you understanding about grace. And that's the key. Those who experience God's intervening victorious grace are those who consider. They stop long enough to think through, to reflect upon, to meditate through, to read of, and to pray through the grace of God. That's what they do. They're people who center themselves frequently, constantly, through the weeks and months, years and decades, in a time every day where they consider these things. That is the key to victory. Uh, Now, when he says consider, he says it in such a way where he wants us to start considering and continue to consider and constantly think through what is taking place here. So those who do something great and right for God are those who consider Him. They experience the intervening grace of God whenever they consider and interact with God, and then the Lord gives them understanding in these things. Jeremiah 29, 13, He promises, Then you will seek Me and find Me when you search for Me with all your heart. Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. James 4, 8 says um, that if we draw near to God, He will draw near to us. Now, I am so glad that when I was younger, I was taught these principles. I mean, it wasn't but moments after my baptism. My church had me involved in something I want you to be involved in on Sunday nights. And I went through three training strategies my senior year in high school to learn to walk with God. And lay people taught me how to walk with God. 
opened up the Bible and showed me how to consider the grace of God on a daily basis and receive his strength. So in the morning, I, I get up and I read the passage and I'm looking for the promises of God. And I'm asking God to come through because the day is far more than I could ever bear. Far more. And by the way, that's the best place to begin. Just go ahead and assume this day is going to be far more than I could ever bear. And if I'm going to bear it, it's only going to be because God has intervened in me and done something in me. And so I start the day and I look through the Word of God and then I start praying through what I've read there. And then I go through a prayer list and at the start of that prayer list, I see a thing there called confession. And if I've offended God or anyone else, I try to clear that up. But it's also a confession of my need. And I tell God, God, I can't do it. I, I, I can't make it on my own. This day is fraught with dangers, toils, and snares. And it's only grace that's going to get me home and in the right place. God, I've got to have you come through. And I must tell you, I've been doing this nearly every day since 1982. And God has not failed. God never fails a humble-seeking heart. God never has. God never will. Now with new converts, what I encourage them to do is start reading either the Gospel of Matthew or the Gospel of John, one chapter a day, and read through it slowly. Maybe read it a couple of times. And, and watch what God draws your attention through. And pray to God about those things. But then pray through the chapter itself as well and ask God to wield it to your heart. And here's what you're aiming for. Here's what you're aiming for. Every decision, God, I can't, but you can, so I'm going to trust you. Every task, God, I can't, you can, I trust you. Every challenge, God, I can't, you can, I trust you. And then it's up to God to come through. It's up to God to act. And he has put his good name behind it and folks trust me God deserves that good name he's got because he comes through every every time and he's good to do it now he oftentimes doesn't do it by blowing a trumpet blast and calling attention to himself that's what you and I are for we call attention to him but God comes through I can't oh God but you can and so I trust you you know that's how you start a walk with Jesus Christ Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, the busted, the bankrupt, the overdrawn in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's how you begin a walk with God. You come before him and you just admit, I don't have what it takes to have a walk with God. But Jesus can make up for my lack. And that's why I come. So I can't, but God, you can you're able. You're able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that I ask or think. This can be a moment of victory. You can start a walk with Jesus. If you come, I'm empty, busted, bankrupt, I'm overdrawn, God, before you. But Jesus can compensate for all of that because he can do abundantly above all that I ask or think. And so I can't, you can I trust you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. I can't. You can. So God, I'm going to trust you. 
That's what I'm going to do. That is how you not only continue a walk with God, that's how you get started in it in the first place, and God's inviting you to do that today. One preacher said, and I think he was very wise on this, receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior will not solve all your problems, but it will solve your biggest problem. And that is how a guilty sinner can connect with a holy perfect God. You do it by telling God, I can't. You can. And therefore, I trust you. And while receiving Christ doesn't solve all your problems, when it solves your biggest problem, you then have the resources to take care of everything else when you follow him. And that's why we get lathered up. That's why we get thrilled. That's why we get energetic about inviting men, women, boys, and girls to turn to Jesus Christ and say yes to him. That's why, we get, that's why we get thrilled, and that's why we get enthusiastic about inviting those who know him to obey him out of faith and trust. And in these moments, as we go into our invitation, this is the time to do serious business with God. Would you stand with me real quick, and let's pray, and we're going to give you the opportunity to respond.